When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today, rather coincidentally, rather than I would say planned, we're doing a celebratory uh, podcast. Uh, a podcast to <laughs> celebrate the 90th birthday of the Queen, which wasn't something I ever had on the agenda. And being BritFlix, it sounds like we're being really nationalistic and uh, thumbs up to the monarchy. Um, and that's because we've got um, Trevor De Silva, screenwriter of A Royal Night Out. On Hello, Trevor. Hi, Shane. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. As I was saying just before we, re- we began recording, um, mm. our 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 scheduled time to do this eventually catching up with us, and it turns out that we've 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 nailed a perfect time to record this. Because we were, we were, I wasn't there for the release of the movie. So um, what better than? Um, than the birthday of the Queen. So, with that in mind, for those people that don't know what a Royal Night Out is, do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what the story is? Yeah, I mean, the story um, imagines um, what uh, what happens on V night when um, when uh, Princess Elizabeth and Margaret um, sneaked out of the palace. I mean, that was the springboard for the movie, really, because that was a that was a, a, a true piece of information. They did, in fact, um, leave the palace and go out and celebrate. Uh, with the crowds, and this is sort of documented in various places, in, in sort of books, on in, in websites. Um, so the thinking was, you know, what's the story of that night? You know, what were the adventures they got up to? Uh, um, so that became, um, that very much became the springboard um, for the story. Um, so it's a question of sort of, you know, looking at scenarios and framing it and imposing storylines um with also sort of a thought to how that night um played a role in in informing the the characters they went on to become so that that's kind of an overview of it really so what what sort of what, what in what order did this sort of happen for you were you were you compelled to write it or did somebody come to you with with the um the idea that maybe we should we should fictionalize this this occasion yeah. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a couple of things, really. Um, let me see. Probably about ten years ago or so, mm-hmm. I'd written the spec script, yeah. uh, a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but but more than just a romantic comedy, it's actually a screwball comedy, um, which is a sort of a specialised form of them, which, which at the time I wasn't even aware it was a screwball comedy. It was a happy accident, really. And, and okay. I, there were certain tropes within that Um the, of my spec that, that were very screwball. I mean, the, the primary one of, of sort of a, a woman of high status meeting somebody of really quite sort of, of, of low position. Yeah. Uh, um, and that's one of the sort of classic um, tropes of, of, of sort of 40s American screwball comedies. Um, so I had the spec script knocking around, and uh, my agent had sent it to, to quite a few companies, one of whom was Ecos. Uh, who went on to make this film, and, and the cost of being sort of noodling this idea of of um, um, Elizabeth and Margaret going out, because I think there'd been a little snippet of information on the BBC. So mm. they responded very well to my spec. We had a meeting, and they sort of said, well, you know, what would your thoughts be on doing a story around Elizabeth and Margaret on V night? 
um, given you've written this sort of screwball romantic comedy. So I went away and had a think about it. We had a few meetings. They quite liked my thoughts. So then I wrote a four-pager. Okay. Kind of um, outlined how the story could go. And I think the key moment in that, or the key thing in, in that four-pager was how Elizabeth... Uh, in disguise, meets Jack, this sort of common soldier, mm. um, airman, who's um, who's able to help her. And over the course of that one night, they have a, a sort of telescope romance, uh, even to the extent of um, Elizabeth meets Jack's mum. You know, these sort of classic things that happen in, in romantic comedies. Yeah. So that was really how it all got rolling. It was it was a combination of Ecos wanting to do something about Elizabeth and Margaret. And the fact that I had a spec script, which was a screwball romantic comedy, which they responded very well to. So sort of fusing those two things together became uh, the sort of catalyst for the, for the story, really. That's, that's, how it got, that's how it got rolling. So I, I submitted this four-page outline, um, which they sort of considered for, for a couple of weeks. And I got a phone call which saying they, um, they wanted me to... Um, me to do script. So think, thinking about the, 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 the sort of biographical side of it, i.e. there was VE day and night, um, and yeah. obviously things happened in London that really happened, and you're now throwing into the mix a fictional account of, yes. of uh, Princess Elizabeth and Margaret running around town. Yeah. Is, uh, did, you, did, you, did you worry about any, any aspect of what was really going on, apart from, I mean, Trafalgar Square aside? Um, in, in sort of compiling the story, did you just sort of look around at what sort of things were going on during the war full stop as a, as a reference point? Or Yeah, I mean, I did a lot of research, an awful lot of research about it, um, yeah. and, and read a lot of books. Um, so, um, Biographies of the Queen um, by various people. I mean, there's an interesting one by her nanny, her nanny Crawfee. Okay. Um, I there's a very very good book kind of a social history on London, which was very good for information. Um, there were sort of um, notes from the sort of mass observation um, uh, project. Uh, so it's, it, it was sort of you know collecting all this information to to form um, the place really the, the the sense of place and the sense of time, mm. um, and then sort of plunging. Um, Elizabeth and Margaret into that. I, I think the main thing was was to treat it as, um, as I say, this screwball romantic comedy where yeah. basically a posh girl meets um, a working class lad um, and, and and the hunt for her sort of Arab sister. Yeah. I, I, I didn't. I wasn't really kind of thinking. Oh, I'm playing with a character who becomes the queen. It, it, that that really wasn't at the back of my mind. It, it was more about you know what's What's you know? What's the best story? Um, you know, what's the best story we, we 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 can get out of this? Which is probably why we sort of held back the, the sort of the revelation for quite a while. Because I mean, you know, it, it's nice to put the audience in the position where for that kind of dramatic irony, they know what's going on, they know who these characters are, but poor old Jack hasn't got a clue. Which you know makes everything it heightens everything. Really, it's, it's a nice um, dramatic device to play with. I was going to say, I mean, I mean, we talked about this before we started recording, so just so that for the audience's benefit, we were talking about the fact that I thought that one of the great conceits that you pull along in the story and keep from us till the last 20 minutes is that nobody yeah. recognises them um, until they say, I am the... Yeah. So was that was that something that was in it from the start? Or did you, from a writing point of view, did you play with the idea that... People going, oh, my God, there's the Prince Elizabeth. Oh, my God. No, that was always, I mean, going back to that first four-page, um, that first four-page uh, um, document I wrote, I mean, that, that the structure is very much there. I think her identity becomes apparent to Jack, hmm. at, um, you know, about three pages into that. You know, so, so therefore, you know, 75% of the story, I, I, I think we brought it in that initial document, I brought it about in a slightly different way, hmm. um, which sort of changed during, during the course of the writing. But it was always, yes, it was always held back. So it, it was very much, you know, having this interplay between them where obviously he knows, he can tell she's posh by her accent and her manners. 
um, and, and the fact that you know she's wearing you know relatively expensive clothes, but mm. he has no idea that you know he's he's escorting and helping um, the future Queen of England. Uh, you know, he's just a decent bloke doing the decent thing, mm. um, and it allows us to make you know for you know for a lot of gags and jokes, you know, to to, to have fun with. Um, so it was, it was um, we did sort of agonise, you know, over, over the time it went to release this information. It just seemed, um, it just seemed to come quite naturally, really. And, and, the, and delaying it uh, just, you know, served to make for a more entertaining movie. One of the things that you've done, which I think plays into our own our natural perceptions about the two sisters, is that uh, Belle Powley playing Margaret is very much more the rebellious one, for one of a better yeah. expression, compared yeah. to the more kind of um, restrained and wide-eyed innocence of Elizabeth. Yeah. Which yeah. I get, which get, which plays to, I mean, it plays to my perception of the different personalities yeah. as I understand them, but obviously yeah. you've, you've, you've still fictionalised what that actually pans out as. Yes. Um, I, I think people do have um, a, a degree of preconception. Um, I mean, thematically, the film... Um, it was very much about duty, um, and I think this is a film where, or where Elizabeth comes to uh, accept the duty that, um, that that she that she's sort of born to, um, um, and I think that was always important. I mean, uh, this part is like in many cases, you know, it's like a coming of age thing. It's you know, she she, she realizes what she has, you know, seeing what she sees that night. Having initially, you know, we were keen to perhaps set up that she was somewhat sort of resistant to the idea of, of you know, this life for her that was planned out and timetabled, uh, you know, forever. Mm. Um, but over the course of this night, you know, you know, she she realizes that you know sometimes you do have to sort of face up and do your duty. I mean, just as her father did his duty, and and to a degree, you know, Jack has done his duty. Um, thematically, that, that, that's what kind of held it together, um, and it, it, she becomes, you know, over the course of this night, you know, a person who we see at the beginning of the film, sort of looking enviously at all these sort of free souls outside partying. Um, as she goes through the course of the night, you know, she realizes that you know there is a duty which she is bound to fulfil, and it, and, it, and it's an acceptance of that uh, in in a good way as well. So that was um, that was the sort of approach that was taken there. Was that was that was was that theme a revelation to you in the writing of it? Um, yes, I suppose it was in some respects, um, because I hadn't really sort of um, um, uh, you know thought about the Queen that much, really. But <laughs> in, in, in the course of sort of writing it and researching, yeah. especially, yeah. Um, it just sort of reveals itself to you, actually. Mm. What's interesting? I didn't kind of, I didn't kind of make a conscious choice on this. Like, oh, I know, I'll make this about duty. Is that you start writing, you start researching it, and then all of a sudden it sort of jumps off. You my word, this is about duty, and um, it gave me a new insight in, into uh, the, the, the Queen's role, really, and. Mm. and how she has discharged this duty with so you know amazing aplomb and um, dedication, um, which perhaps beforehand you know wasn't something I thought about, wasn't really a point of view I, I, I had. But it, to say it, it, it's a good question because yes, it really sort of revealed itself to me. I think I think um, that's always interesting when you're tackling new subjects. To be honest with you, because I mean, much like I just said earlier, you know, my perception of them is a the fairly binary, cartoony version. Once you start reading the the nanny's memoirs and, and yeah. the like, you begin to see a person, a person that might be that might be dark. and it's all relative. Obviously, <laughs> um, you can go, yes, they've got lots of wealth, but then there is there is the life they have to leave within yeah, within the constraints so, yeah. of what they can and can't do. Yeah, I mean, I found that quite shocking. Really, I mean, it is this kind of gilded cage in a way where yes you're right i mean that you know obviously there's, there's wealth and, and 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 money but the the sort of obligation that is set before you um 
you know, just sort of ceremonial stuff and being an ambassador for the country. I mean, it's an extraordinary amount of work, really. Um, probably more so in that era as well, when, when, um, I think the royal family was, you know, more of a sort of focal point for the nation. I think actually that's the other thing I realized as well, is just how significant their presence was to, um, um, while, while, while the war was going on. I, I I think they sort of, you know, it was very sort of representative of, of um, something sort of meaningful for, for the country. Mm. Um, and sort of, you know, sitting out in, in most in London was, um, uh, you know, was, was very important to people. Um, I, think, I think it helped give people, you know, a, a, a further purpose, really. No, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to separate the royal family from national fervour, and I think... Yeah. You're, you're writing a film at the moment when the war's just ending. Yeah. You yeah. know, so that you're not going to get much higher national fervour. No, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, you, you, I'm sure everybody got excited when England won the World Cup in 66, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm not quite sure it was the same exultation as yeah. we're no longer at war. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess having having just having that figurehead for whatever yeah. it might mean. And it's interesting as well that you you you... you you did give an opposite to that because you gave Jack the voice of well, what, do, yeah. what, do, what do they know? Yeah. It yeah, isn't, they, it isn't, it isn't a loving to the, the Royal family. There is, there is a question in there as to what, which I guess helps to, which probably was part, I'm guessing was part of how you began to seek well, that discovery uh, of duty. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Jack, you know, from the earliest point really was, um, Jack, you know, is not a royalist. He's not a monarchist. He, you know, he doesn't really have that much time for for them. He thinks they sort of, you know, coast along in in uh, in, in, uh, in their ivory ivory towers. Um, whereas interestingly, she didn't receive much screen time in the end. But Jack's mum, mm. played brilliantly by Ruth Sheen, I thought, um, is a royalist, and she has her house sort of stuffed full of. Um, um, royal um, objects, you know, sort of s- souvenirs of, of centenaries and anniversaries. Um, whereas Jack was always a, the character who resisted that. Um, but I always like the scene in, 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 in the story where, where Elizabeth goes to to, um, to, uh, to, to Jack's mum's house and is sort of confronted with all this um, royal paraphernalia because I think suddenly it gives Elizabeth a further sense of what her family means to many people as well. Although Jack, as you say correctly, was the foil to that. He, he, he which, you know, kind of helped as well with, with again, it's, it's a very much a screwball thing. Mm. You know, these two characters sparking off against each other and kind of, um, you know, set against each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all part of that, you know, it's all, it all kind of helped that nice sort of, um, which just added to the richness of, 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 the, of the whole story. And admittedly, his, 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 his own personal journey, as far as the backstory goes, yeah. is, is of a man who was having his own personal war. You know, yeah. the, the war, in a macro sense, is what the Queen's, is what Prince Elizabeth is going to see. Yeah. And seeing your best friend die yeah. is a personal war, because you don't, you don't just get over that. Yeah. And all the Union Jack waving in the world isn't going to get rid of grief. So, in yeah. a sense, his viewpoint is shaped by, I went away to do this for that royal family and this country, yeah. and here I am in the biggest celebratory moment that you could hope for in a war, which is when it ends, yeah. and I feel glum, and I'm going to take yeah. the anger out on this yeah. image yeah. Of, what, yeah. of what I was meant to be fighting for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, yes, yeah, I mean, that, 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 you, you, you've got it, really. That's... Yeah, he, he always was the foil. Um, and equally, though, he, thematically still, he was a man who went off to do his duty. Oh, for um, sure, for sure, yeah. Which is, you know, again, it's an important thing to play back. Um, I think really the, um, the sort of the scene that furthers that more, and I, I kind of think it's, 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 it's handled very well. Hmm. The uh, was the scene in Trafalgar Square when when um, Big Ben chimes, which is the sort of official 
uh, moment of peace. Midnight. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and there's a big montage, very long montage. Um, and I think Julian did a very good job of sort of capturing um, <sighs> the, the sort of um, mixed emotions, you know, some of which we see in Jack as well, you know, mm. um, release and sadness and joy and relief. Um, so I think that that's a very, uh, that's an enormous scene in the film, which, which does sort of encapsulate, you know, some of what Jack feels and some of what other people. How, how, out of interest, Trevor, how did that look on the page as opposed to how it, how it ended up being presented? Was it, was it written as a montage? Or? Yes. It, oh, was, okay. it, it was, and, uh, you know, credit in the fact that, you know, that montage was pretty much executed as it was on the page. I think it, I think it just said, you know, that there was the slug, you know, montage, people celebrate, and, and then a, a whole page of um, um, the scenes that make up the montage, you know, even like the old couple sort of holding hands, which I think is a very touching moment. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the, the uh, babies, yeah, it was all. Um, it, it, that was pretty much sort of delivered as it was on the page, which is, which is a fantastic thing to see. I mean, no, it must be because uh, you, when you write, you kind of think, "Oh, this should be a big, you know, this should be a big, big emotional wallop." I hope, um, and, and uh, yeah, I, I think Julian, as I said, did a great job in in sort of orchestrating that and and and, and getting those little sort of moments. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, almost, it's those moments in the screenplay where you're kind of wishing you could, you, you're almost, you're tempted to write in the, in the margins. This is where the composer can have a feel. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Music, <laughs> music swells. <laughs> um, cut to close-ups. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think, I think it was very well handled um, because it wasn't, it didn't stray, I didn't think, into mawkishness, which is good. Um no, yeah, you held, you held, it held its line on this is the yeah. story of Prince Elizabeth out on the town. Yeah. And while she's out in the town, obviously this is happening, as yeah. opposed to the film is about this point. Yeah, yeah. Out of interest um, then, I mean, we've talked a lot about the, the, the royal family side of what you're able to sort of glean that helps you shape the characters and stuff, yeah. but obviously you freed yourself from that to then write the, the screwball comedy. From the kind of social history element and the research mm. you did there, what nuggets did you find in that, that that made its way into the movie that, you you know, without the research, you, it would have been missing? Um, I think um, the whole sort of um, scene of um, black market and uh, petty crime that was going on, mm. which was kind of sort of played out partly when they... Um, go to um, Lord Stans. Um, I mean, there was there was an awful lot of black marketeering going on. Yeah. Uh, but then there were some very sort of tragic stories of um, again, this came out this this big social history book I, I read through of, of women who um, their partners, uh, husbands, whatever, had, had been killed or were missing in action, and they just didn't have enough money to make ends meet. So. Um, they had to um, go on the game, mm. uh, which is not uncommon in, in London at all. And, and they uh, uh, and they picked up nicknames. I think they were called uh, Piccadilly Commandos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which is a line I, I use in the script. Um, which sort of you know Jack's familiar with that that parlance, but I, I had no idea. You know, that, and you know, hopefully things like that. Um, given authenticity to it. Um, mm. You know, the fact that they, they did actually go to the Ritz, uh, uh, Elizabeth and um, uh, Elizabeth and Margaret and, and, and her crew. I mean, it's interesting, you read different reports, yeah. um, uh, and people sort of dispute this. I, I think when you look at history, you, kind of have, you read a book, you kind of think, oh, it's written down, therefore it must be true. But researching this... You know, according to which book you read, you know, they went out with just the two of them. They went out with six of them. Somebody says they went out with 20 of them. So it's, it's, you know, what you think is gospel, because it's written down in a history book somewhere, it is, you know, people's, you know, people take a license there. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, go back to your question. Yeah, I mean, that, that whole sort of black market was interesting. Um, um, there were sort of, um, Drugs knocking around, um, probably sort of Benzedrine, uh, 
on pills. Um, yeah, the whole sort of uh, Americans coming. Um, it is a very, very rich area um, to look at. I mean, there was there was far too much really just to to, to get into one script. But but wherever possible, you know, we, we tried to have touches which added to the authenticity. So, for instance, I hadn't realised the Queen had served in the ATS um, as, as a mechanic and could drive. Um, so when you see a sort of behind the wheel later on, I mean, this is all sort of, um, you know, true stuff. Mm. Um, and, and it was great to, you know, where possible to sort of, you know, put, put these, put these bits in, um, to say to, 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 um, to create this authenticity really. Now, in terms of, um, <clears throat> in terms of storytelling, mm. what, what were the hardest challenges? Because obviously once you've decided on this, this, this idea and this conceit, then there's the kind of dramatising it, you know. Yeah. For, for better or for worse, you know, whatever, whatever you decide to do, then what were the challenges as you were trying to iron that out to make what you ended up with? What, what were the hardest challenges for you to resolve, do you think? Um, in storytelling. Um, playing out romance hmm. uh, as it stands. Um, I, you know, it was always important to keep it chaste, of course. Um, hmm. But then, you know, within that, how far you push it, um, what, what you allude to. Um, I think on sort of early passes, um, there were more um, there were more subplots um, okay. with different characters who who sort of um, then sort of fell by the wayside. I guess it's an exercise in you know you start off and you write something maybe with three or four subplots and 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 then you realise they're just getting in the way. So these things have to be sort of be um, cut down. Um, so in a way, I mean, is it a challenge? I, I guess it is. I mean, you, you you sort of you 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 write a lot in the knowledge that quite a bit's going to be cold, but that's you know that's the job, of course, uh, as you know. Um, well, I was thinking more like you know sort of key scenes and and stuff. So so for example, um, just, just solving the problem of how they escaped, for example. How they escaped being caught was that was that something that was solved early on or how do you mean well, well, well when they escape when they escape the guards the the, the way you set up oh yeah the escape yeah. for example yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. To, it's to do you know it's 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 a melee which is part of the the high the high spirits and high jinx of the night that yeah. allows them to slip out yeah um well, that wasn't that wasn't um... I don't know really how, how, how I thought it, it was good that, um, I think you've got to fix on the characters. Mm. Um, your characters then inform plot. Um, so because we knew, you know, at, at, when they're at the ballroom that Margaret is the sort of slightly more rebellious one. Yeah. Uh, and Elizabeth is sort of the more dutiful one. So, you know, it, it of course, it doesn't write it. It doesn't write itself, but it gives you, you know, working to that, you know, working to that character knowledge. You know that Elizabeth will sort of do her duty and you know, do the meeting and greeting at the ballroom, while Margaret's going to sneak out and vanish upstairs where there appears to be a party going on, because <laughs> that's what she's more inclined to do. So, so those are the situations you 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 write, um, and then equally, you know, when they're on the on the town, you know, Margaret. She doesn't think twice about sort of jumping onto a bus with a bottle of Bolly in her hand with, with with a bunch of new mates. Well, Elizabeth feels you know it's her duty then to 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 to, to, to go find her. Um, so I think, and once you've got that framework set up, it, it becomes um, you know Margaret is leading Elizabeth on a merry dance across town, and and natural obstacles. Apart, you know, they, they they keep having they nearly find her, and then she gets away again. They find her, she gets away again. Um, so once you've got that framework set up, and then you have their characters to play with, and you just kind of think, well, what what would the Elizabeth character do here? What the Margaret character do here? So that helps you um, invent little scenes to uh, to. Uh, um, you know, they, they offer themselves up. I mean, you know, there's a lot of staring out the window thinking what happens next, but <laughs> you, you, you can always turn back to your character and think, well, Margaret's a wild child. What is she doing here? Elizabeth is, is being a bit more sensible and prudent. What would she do here? So, 
yeah, I, I think, and I'm always believing that that um, once you've got a fix on your character, regardless of, of what story you're writing, once you've got a fix on your character, then you can start um, getting good plot points, and especially if you're putting them in a situation where you know that character hates it. It's mm. it's always it always makes for good good drama. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. What do you remember being the most challenging note you received during the? Uh... During, in the run-up to pre-production, or even during the process of developing the screenplay, um, I don't really remember any um, single note. Uh, I do remember sort of a series of very long meetings where we'd go through the script, um, uh, and, and I think a couple of times the meeting um, spilled into a second day. Wow. Um, so it was very sort of you know everything was 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 very carefully worked through and thought about uh, you know the, the people at cost were very very good I have to say um, um, uh, Matt and, and James were, were, were brilliant development people mm. um, and although at times you know you you, you see um, you know little scenes you wrote that that, that perhaps you had a, had a, had a soft spot for bite the dust you know. You, in the next day, you realise that everybody's trying to make the film better, mm. um, and and I think on a general point, there. I mean, you know, sometimes sort of people flap their arms and, and, and get in a state about notes, but but often you know these you know the people you're working with are you know they've made films and they know what they're talking about, and you know when they give you notes, it's you know it's largely to try and make the film better. Um, I think what can happen is that you can often get many notes coming at the same time. So um, even from people who, who perhaps aren't there in the meeting. Yeah. Um, so I think the important thing with notes is, is to sort of cherry pick and find the notes which sort of resonate with you uh, um, and, in, and use them and, and then put your spin on it to make the script better. Um, I can't think of one single note. Uh, well, that's that's good advice, uh, though. I think that sounds to me like you're saying that that in a way, if you know what your story is, and I guess as 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 authors, you're we're always kind of you're always you're always aware of where maybe there's a weakness or not. And if a note yeah. resonates with where you're thinking, yeah, there might be a weakness. Then then you go, okay, look, there's the opportunity to fix it now because that's absolutely, point. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, generally speaking, I like notes. I, I think you know when you first get them, you kind of think, "Oh, bloody hell, <laughs> that, that's that's a lot." But then, you know, when you sit down and start thinking about it, you realise actually you know, this bit is going to get better once you know once I chew these notes over and and, and you know find out you know, and, and often the, the note sometimes isn't always. Um, clear it sort of touches on something and you you just got to sort of work out what the note really means and i, and I think often you will find it, it it will improve the script so um yeah it, the volume of notes sometimes can, can be can be yeah good. yeah I, th I think you're right because it's like it's it's new points of view are not a problem yeah. it's, it's confusing yeah. points of view that are a problem Absolutely, aren't they? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody, you know, somebody, somebody's, somebody's say going this way, and other people's going the other way, and you're left, exactly. with, you're still left with a laptop going. Which way do yeah. I go then? Yeah, <clears throat> and, and then you have to rely on your own judgment. I think. Mm. Well, of those three notes on the same point, but going in different directions, you've got to pick. You've got to work. You've got to pick the one that can work with it that, that, that you can that that, that you can see is going, is going to help the script, or, or the one that works for you. Put it that way. Now, I mean, that—that that is where, where you're talking about sort of how the story develops. But obviously, a, a film is only you know is limited to its budget. Yes. So in that kind of pre-production stage, where a script when a script is locked to a point, yeah. um, or certainly the story's locked. What were what were the kind and and for those that haven't seen the film, I mean, it is visually it's 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 very ambitious. There's some lovely set pieces. Um, certainly going in the Ritz, um, Trafalgar Square. I guess, I guess on Piccadilly, um, yeah. 
whether we we see it as as, as that even, yeah. even like the pubs i mean all these some of these studio stuff but there's a lot of people you're not doing two people in a room scenes there's a lot of no. there's a lot going on no. um so was was there any was there any temptation at any was there certain points where it's like to turn it down in terms of the the scale of this or no not really i think um i think there was a cost of working to a certain budget yeah. Um, which I think was, was around the sort of six million pound mark. I mean, there were, uh, I think I began the film, um, with a Spitfire, um, flying over the Thames doing a victory roll, <laughs> uh, which, which, which I think ended up perhaps a little bit too expensive. Um, <laughs> and, um, there was also, uh, a, a, a subplot which culminated on, on, the, on a big scene on Albert Bridge um, where um, Margaret jumped into the Thames and, and, and indeed Jack. So, so those things, so th th those are a couple of things which didn't make it. Um, that Spitfire one is almost like, it's like the William Golden line, isn't it? About the, you can write 50 elephants come over the hill and then the producer yeah. just find 50 elephants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the Spitfire lived for a long time. Did uh, it? Okay. Yeah, and I think there was always a, I think there was always a clause where if, if the film went over a certain budget, my fee would be um, re-examined. <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't to come. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, the, I think that the production management of it was superb. Um, a lot of the scenes in London were actually shot in Hull. Okay. Um, uh, the interiors of Buckingham Palace, I think they used Chatsworth House. Um, um, See, this, the, this, is, uh, this, is, this is the magic of cinema to me. Yeah. When, when, when you learn this. It's like the Jimi Hendrix biopic that was all shot in Dublin. Yeah. We're in 60s London. Slight of hand, um, smoke and mirrors, and all that. Um, so, what, what, when you when you sit when I mean, you mentioned the the Trafalgar Square scene being particularly satisfying, but yeah, I mean, obviously, should we should add that the, the the film is out there now. I mean, it's available certainly in the UK via Netflix, of, of uh, at the very least. Um, but but you know, when you see the finish, when you saw the finished film. Where, where we, where inside? Where were you kind of punching the air a bit? You know, when you saw what what they'd done with your script. Um, it's a very odd moment, I think, when you see a film uh, for the first time. You don't because I saw it in a screening room, and okay. when you see it in a screening room, it's it's, it's quite odd because there's only about oh I don't know there's only about four of us there or five of us. Mm. So it, it robs it of the kind of collective experience of, of seeing a film in a theatre with lots of people. It's like a science project, so, isn't it, when you do it that way? Almost, yeah. So, <laughs> and I think what happens when you see a film in a theatre that's full, there's a, there's a collective experience which sort of heightens the whole thing. Mm. Um, so... Um, if anything, the first time I saw it in um, in in, a, in, uh, in in the screening room, I, I'd not been involved with it. Apart, I mean, I attended the shoot, some of the shoot, yeah, um, but I'd not had sort of heavy involvement for oh, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the film was in a sort of hiatus for for quite a you know quite a long time mm. before everything was finally buttoned down uh, and. Um, so it was it was quite an odd thing to see it, and it was it was an assembly rather. It certainly wasn't a finished cut. It was kind of an assembly which they were going to sort of test on a few people as well. Yeah. So it was it was a it was a slightly odd um, way in which to see it, and then then I saw it again uh, um, just prior to its release at the cast and and, and crew screen, which, which is sort of vastly different because you have a whole. Uh, you know, then, then you've got a whole audience, and an audience which obviously are going to be on, on its side as well because of the, the, they made it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the first time I saw it was, was quite an odd. It was a sort of, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought, oh, that's strange, and oh, okay, I see why they've done that. And so it was, it was, it was really quite. Um, I don't know. It was. Um, I felt quite sort of dislocated from it in, in a strange way. 
Well, it's, but, al- it's almost like at that stage you're seeing it, there is permission to be critical, you know, as opposed yeah. to, like, when you see a finished film, you're going to enjoy it or you're not. Whereas, yeah. clearly, when you're seeing an assembly cut, it's it's a moment for them to go into. And so, uh, Trevor, um, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as opposed to, as opposed to you just walk out and you glide you glide on your own little air of achievement, yeah. little cushion of achievement and go and have a beer, you know, which, which you might have done if you're at the premiere, so to speak. I think also by then, because um, it, it, in effect, my involvement with the film, you know, there, I, I, there's you know several years elapsed between you know me sort of handing in my final version between mm. the film actually sort of being released. You know, in, in that meanwhile, I'd moved on to other projects. Of course, yeah. And it was though it, my head was more full of other projects. Because I think that's, that's, just, that's just the way you are. You know, when you are writing a script, it kind of fills your head totally. Yeah. Um, you're, looking, you're looking at it going, why is this old girlfriend phoning me? <laughs> yeah, so, so, um, yes, it, it was quite an odd... It was, I don't know what I expected, really. So, um, And this was you know, this is my first feature, so to actually sort of see it there, it was, it was sort of, on the, on the one hand, sort of amazing, but on the other hand, sort of quite odd. Uh, I, could, I can, I can, I'm, I'm yet to get there yet, you know, I've only, right. only, only um, done the short film, so for, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it, you've given a good, persp- a good perspective there on, on, on that, on that moment, because it, it's easy for, for those of us on the outside of a film getting made to realise that there are these points, including what you describe as the hiatus, where you kind of, you know, yeah, you, you, you've kind of, you've not forgotten about it forever, but you've kind of parked it. Well, you kind of think... After a while, you kind of think, well, maybe it will never happen because you know, you know, certainly this film, the the, the the first director who was attached to it left the project, and then you know, financing, um, financing sort of um, moved, cast moved, which then further moved more financing. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, for a while it is top of mind, and then. It gradually, you know, as 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 you, as you kind of think, oh well, the chances of this film ever happening are becoming more and more remote. Um, it, you know, in your sort of mental rolodex, it sort of slips to to, to the obscure bit, where, where, whereas other films are sort of ha- have replaced it. You know, uh, you know, and that's that's the nature of writing. You know, the screenwriter's involvement is up front, and yeah, 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 you know, hacking out. Hacking out and and and, and um, creating the story, um, and, and there can be such a lag between finishing that work and then the film being made, and then another lag between the film being made and then to being distributed. I mean, they shot a roll night out, I think, in uh, April May twenty fourteen, but then understandably, landscape sat on the release until twenty fifteen because it coincided with, with well, another anniversary with the Queen's 70 years on, mm. on, uh, as, as, as the reigning monarch. So you have all these sorts of, um, yeah, so, uh, these moments of hiatus, which, which, and, uh, and during those, that time, you know, the film sort of, you know, shifts in, 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 in your memory or, or, you know, or it's, you know, it's relevance or it's importance, you know, it seems to sort of, you know, get shunted Shunted, shunted around. Then all of a sudden, you, they'll release a trailer or a poster will come up, and then it's right back in your sort of uh, sort of present conscious. That must have been exciting then at that point. Then if you if you've kind of had these kind of waves of of sort of excitement and doubt, then then when you start seeing it's coming, because I've never I've never seen it at the pictures, and I'd, I'd never heard of it, and then I saw the trailer at the pictures. You know when I was yeah yeah, and that, but it's it's quite odd because then I mean all of a sudden you know you you. You've, you know, you've made the switch, if you like, from uh, an unproduced writer to a produced writer, but you're no better, you know. I, I didn't become a better writer in the, you know, from, you know, from the day before it was released to the day after it's released. You know, nothing about me as a writer changed, really. Um, I guess how other people perceive you change. Um, but it's, yeah, you're, you're, you're part you're part of a successful process, aren't you? Which you know that's the p- thing that people that's the risk people take, isn't it, with a film? It, yes, is, uh, and then you've already listed, you know, the the, the, the trials and tribu- some of the trials and tribulations the film went through. Yeah, so if you're one of the people now that can be seen as A can write and B 
can see a film to the end. Yeah. So I, that's, I, that's the box you're ticking out, you, I suppose. Yes, but, but I think on a personal level, that those sort of, you know, like those moments, those sort of walking on air moments, for me, came much earlier in the process. Okay. So, so when I got the phone call... Yeah, I think, you know, get, getting that phone call was, in, in a way, you know, was a far more s- sort of greater moment of elation. Uh, um, and, and then, you know, after that, I wrote a whole bunch of treatments, because that's the first part of my sort of step deal. Hmm. And then I think after about nine months, again, the, another phone which says, yeah, we want you to go to script now. Okay. Um, those those are sort of the more amazing moments than um, than actually seeing the film come out. I don't know why that is. Well, I guess I mean I, I, I mean for, I, I'm I'm sort of a good few steps behind you in terms of that 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 trajectory, and it's kind of it's that idea that someone's asking you to do it. And, yes, and putting because yeah. when you when you when you're becoming a writer, you're kind of on your own, aren't you? In many senses, oh, very much. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you're on your own when you write a script anyway, but yeah. When you're writing for nobody, when you're trying to be good at writing, you you literally are on your own, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Yes. I mean, those those first sort of steps when you kind of think, I'm going to give this a whirl, and, and, you know, you spend the next sort of three years or so getting together your sort of first work to, 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 to make your assault on, on the industry. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> We are, we are we are people pleasers. I think that's that's kind of way yeah. we we kind of come out, don't we? And go hello. <laughs> yeah, but it is no. It's a very lonely and insular uh, business at times, and, and you're just kind of thinking, you know, why am I doing this? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but but you can't not do it. If that no, means. that's true. That's true. That's, uh, one question to be remiss to, to, to ask because we've not covered it is: was there any kind of looking over your shoulder from the palace during the during the development of the movie? Uh, I don't honestly know. Um, so you were never told this is off limits. This is nope. Okay, okay, that's nope. interesting. Um, I think uh, I'm not. I'm not certain, but but I think at one point the script was um, sent to um, you know was 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 sent to to, to the palace as a, as a courtesy. Yeah. Um, but I think it was all good. Um, but beyond the, no, I had no. Um, you know, I, I, and, and as I said, you know, it was never in my mind that I, ooh, I'm writing a story about the Queen. It was never really that was never really the focus of it. Is mm. I'm writing a screwball comedy here about a, a, a you know girls who pretty posh and, and, a, and a bloke who isn't. That was you know it, it was never that kind of over my shoulder thing. Oh, I'm writing something about the royals. Um, and I think I think that speaks volumes from the time that you're set in it and the time we're in now. Because if you if you yeah. remember back in the kind of forties. You had things like Hello Magazine having photographs cut out before they reached these shores. Right, you yeah. know, that would show the royal family on yachts and stuff. So, you know, there was no, there was no scrutiny at all then, or no yeah. idea of individuals commenting and making up stuff and whatever they want. That yeah. would always been a threat. But like now, I guess it's, I guess it's water for ducks back. In, I guess so, yeah. In, in, in the celebrity industry we live in now, which obviously yeah. the royals become part of. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, film, the film's out there now. People can get it on DVD, watch it on mm. Netflix and the like. Uh, yeah. What? What is there anything that you want to talk about that you've, or anything you can talk about? You've got, you've got in the pipeline, or um, yeah, I've got, I've got a film sort of quite far down the line uh, with um, a company called Qwerty. Mm. Um, so that's uh, that's a film about um, in, set in nineteen sixty seven. Okay. Um, so you're moving through the decades, then? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm still with royalty, rock and roll royalty. It's a film about Mick Jagger and Keith Richards when, when they were busted for um, drugs. Down, oh, fantastic! And uh, in Sussex, although more accurately, is that's although that's that's the sort of framing narrative device. The film is really about the lawyer who defends them, uh, who, uh, who who was uh, Michael Haber's QC, okay. and the relationship he has with his son. Uh, his teenage son, who's Nigel Havers, the actor, actually. Okay. It's based on a, uh, on his uh, a, a chapter in his memoir, and uh, at the beginning of the film, their sort of relationship is very much sort of fractured. And over the course of the film and the trial, um, uh, the relationship is healed. So it, it's very much a father-son story. So that's that's quite far down the line. That's out with um, out to directors at the moment. That's a, that's a neat way to tell the story of the of the of a very famous court case. Yes, yes, it is. It's uh, and to sort of 
make the, the, the to, to put um, Richards and Keith Richards and Mick Jagger sort of more in the background and bringing um, the father-son story to the foreground is yes, is far more interesting and and because you know, it's a big emotional story. Uh, you know, there, there've been some fantastic father-son movies over the years and. and uh, you know the bar's been set high, so it's it's it's, it's a good thing to work to. You need a powerful, powerful relationship. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed for that. Um, and then uh, I'm in a um, as an adaptation of a book, which um, I'm hopefully will be doing for an American company shortly. I think that's being, I think to use their term, they're paperworking the legal stuff. Um, but uh, that, yeah, hopefully get the nod on that. So yeah, I mean, plenty to keep me busy. So that's it. Indeed. Well, fingers crossed. Well, hopefully then we can uh, we'll get you back on them when uh, these films are uh, are needing a bit of media attention. I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Well, good luck with that. And Thank um, you. Thank and you. thanks thanks for coming on, giving us your time to talk about a royal night out. Um, and uh, happy 90th birthday to Queen Elizabeth, I guess. Yes, happy 90th indeed. <laughs> Thanks, Stuart. It's good to talk to you. Indeed, indeed. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.